Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Design to Product podcast, where we talk about getting a product from design to a manufactured product. We'll hear about the journeys of people who build products, design for manufacturing, supply chain challenges, and much, much more. I'm Adar, your host today, and the CEO of Giga. And we in Giga believe that engineers should be just engineers and just reduce the logistics that they deal with to a minimum. So if you're an engineer who sends RFQs to suppliers and constantly deal with manual tasks like supplier search, quote comparison, no quotes, email back and forth, tracking your orders and communication, you might be able to free up a lot of money and time. So just go over to gigajiga.io and check it out. Maybe we can help you. Today we have a very tasty episode, as I told uh, Clayton, because I, our guest today is Clayton Wood, CEO of Picnic, and Picnic automates making customizable pizzas. They have a very cool robotic system that does it. Hello, Clayton. Uh, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning, Clayton. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about Picnic. Was I right about describing your, your product? It's definitely tasty. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> we have guests in the office, and the first thing they notice is the smell of pizzas in the air. And uh, there's there's usually plenty of free pizza around uh, for anybody who's hungry. So we have a good time. Sounds like a dreamy job, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're having fun. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Picnic. Uh, so Picnic is a startup based in Seattle. Uh, we're about six years old. Uh, the company was started by a group of automation engineers who were looking for a good use case for automation and they looked at food service. Um, to clarify, I'm not the founder, uh, but I joined about four years ago as the new permanent CEO. Uh, but when the company was started, uh, the they thought, well, let's make food. And then it, once you start thinking about food, you start thinking about pizza. And the initial idea was actually to make a fully automated food truck that had everything. You'd walk up to the side of it, push some buttons and a pizza would come out. And they thought, well, let's, that's pretty ambitious. Let's start with how do you make a pizza? Huh. And uh, that turned out to be pretty challenging, especially at, at that point, several years ago, there were no other automated pizza systems to look at. There was no examples to follow. Um, and we have some early videos that are pretty funny about how do you actually get sauce on a, on a piece of dough and spread it around and, and get some cheese and pepperoni on it. So it's been a journey. Uh, but we're really happy today to be shipping to commercial customers and and uh, really on a growth track. So it's been a it's been a fun journey. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, and and when you, we prepared for the interview, you told me something like uh, we made a working product and we didn't realize that we were just beginning. So uh, looks like you had some um, massive challenges. How did they look like? Um, you know, one of the challenges of, of any startup is that you never have enough resources. You never have the right, all the right expertises, all the right know-how. Um, so you have enough to get started. And in our case, that enough to get started was a bunch of talented engineers who were able to devise uh, basically mostly an electromechanical system for how to handle simple food ingredients and, and manipulate them onto a pizza. Um, but we had a, a, an ambition, uh, which is different than some other automation companies in the food space, which was not just to make a pizza, uh, not just make a dish, but really to make any pizza. We wanted to make any any pizza for any customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've always been faced with a variety of foods that you may want to put on a pizza. So when you think about, I always tell my my team, you know, hardware is hard. 
that's yep. that's sort of a cliche. Um, automation is a hard uh, space in hardware. And food automation is a really hard type of automation because you're taking a really highly variable input, which is food. Even the same food is variable depending on the conditions and the age and other factors. Um, and then you're trying to make a very consistent output. Um, so it, it's super multidisciplinary, um, lots of integration of different kinds of skill sets. So when we started, we had electrical engineers and mechanical engineers, and we were able to make a pizza. Mm-hmm. And when I joined, uh, we had different mechanisms that did the different things. One mechanism would put sauce on a pizza, one that would, would shred, actually shred cheese from a block, um, slice pe- pepperoni from a stick, um, but they weren't integrated into a system. It was just different mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a, about a month after I got there, um, we set up a customer appointment and we knew the customer would want to see a pizza. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we had to do a quick integration and, and uh, hustle and, and make a pizza. We did that and the customer was amazed. They were like, oh my God, this is brilliant. How do we, you know, we, I could think of five places we could use this. So we knew we were onto something. But at that point, what we had was a tabletop prototype that could, in fact, make a pizza, but it wasn't anything that anyone could use in a kitchen. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anywhere near prime time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're making equipment for a food uh, application, there's a bunch of different considerations. So you've got to make it, it's got to be cleanable. Um, it's got to withstand the environment of a commercial kitchen. Um, it's got to, and ultimately, in the longer run, it's got to be manufacturable. It's got to be cost effective, all, all those other things. And so the team that was really clever enough to figure out how to make invent a pizza machine um, had to figure out how to do all these other, all these other mm-hmm. tasks. And, and by the way, did you think about all of these challenges in advance or did you start by building something that worked first? Like, let's just make something that makes a pizza and then deal with anything else like manufacturability and uh, cleaning and everything that involves this. I, it's, it's uh, a little of both. I think it's easy to get confident in your team's abilities when they, when they show how, uh, how talented they are as engineers and to think, well, if these guys can invent a pizza machine, they can figure out how to, how mm-hmm. to make it manufacturable. Um, but it turns out there's a lot of other skill sets involved and there's all these other disciplines, you know? So when we started our first system wasn't refrigerated, it was just, it was just a piece of machinery on a tabletop. Um, but if you want to make it where it holds food in a commercial kitchen to health codes, the food has to be kept at temperature. So you got to build a refrigeration system, Mm -hmm. um, and different skill set. you know, again, more mechanical engineering, different kind of mechanical engineering, uh, different skill set. And then when you're trying to integrate that into a uh, prototype, the first prototype. So we, when we finished the, uh, the first demo for the first customer, uh, the next thing was, okay, well, now this is great. This works great. Now we just need one we can actually test in a kitchen and, and pilot it. Um, so we said, okay, well, let's just do that. And it's like, it, it, at the time, it seemed like that, that shouldn't be too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, one of the things we underestimated was even, even the skill set of going from can you design a mechanism that produces an output to can you design a a an assembly that can be assembled mm-hmm. <laughs> that could be built yeah and built repeatedly even on a prototype scale mm-hmm. so we every, you know assigned everyone jobs and we des- ended up designing a prototype that 
was very, very difficult to build. Mm-hmm. And we were going to build four instances of it. And after two instances, the team just sort of put their hands up and said, we can't build any more of these. This is too hard. Mm-hmm. We need to go back and redesign. So um, it's easy to underestimate that step of how do you make something that's actually buildable, especially if you have a, a big, you know, this isn't a small device. This is a big yeah. thing. It's about seven Bricks. feet long and five feet tall. You know, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. And yeah. just the fabrication methods, the material choices, um, how are you going to put it together? How will it actually work when it goes together? Lots and lots of considerations. And you're always in a startup, you're always dealing with a very small team, limited yeah. budget, tight schedule, um, very, very challenging. So what would you do differently? Like for the people who listen right now and they, they have these such considerations, like what, how would you treat that differently if you were to go back? Um, you know, in my career, I'm a mechanical engineer and I started my career um, actually in, I accidentally got into uh, HVAC. Wasn't my intent, but that's that's where I ended up. That's the way a lot of careers end mm-hmm. up. You, you, you do the job that you got, not the job that you thought you were going to get. Um, and I didn't know anything about it. And I developed my, my philosophy was one that I've, I've frequently gone back to, which is have a healthy respect for your own ignorance. Um, don't assume that, you know, everything, don't be arrogant. Don't be afraid to ask for advice. Don't be, you know, really look at the problem in a really clear eyed way and recognize which skills do you have? Which skills do you not have and get, get help. And I think first for any company, but especially for startups, there's a lot of help available. Suppliers like to help. Uh, manufacturers like to help. Um, there's advisors who will, who will work for a small amount of equity or even volunteer just, you know, but you got to ask the questions. You've got to yeah. seek the advice, recognize all the dimensions of the problem you're trying to solve and be honest with yourself about what you're not actually equipped to do. And don't try to do it all yourself. Yeah. Um, but get, get some help and figure out how to get it done. And, and, and it's all iterative. So you're trying to just get to the next milestone and then learn from that journey. And then you plan the next step of the journey. Such a great tip because especially in hardware, when, as you mentioned, like there are so many different functions, no one knows everything and it's better to, to address that and, and uh, confess that you don't know and ask for advice from the right people just together. You can do amazing things like making uh, a machine that makes pizzas. For me, it's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And, and what kind of skill sets you mentioned, like there were a lot of disciplines, like what kind of skill sets you needed uh, to work together and how did you make it work together? Like, do you have any tips for that? Um, so we, our team, you know, I think it's what usually happens is you end up either building the product that you can because it's the skill set you have, or you really emphasize the main skill set you need. So we had a heavily mechanical engineering oriented team. Because most of what we were doing is mechanical, we had to we had to move food around, you know, put it in a place, push it around, move the pizza down the line. A lot of a lot of mechanical motions, mechanisms. Um, we had electrical engineering, but we didn't. The electrical engineering was tended to be more straightforward. It was we were powering motors, um, and we had some simple controls. Um, but we had this phenomenon. There's the old joke about. Um, you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than your buddy. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the software team didn't have to be super software. They just had to be better than the hardware team. And that mm-hmm. didn't turn out to be too hard to do because the hardware team had all the hard tasks. Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't heavily emphasize software and electrical in the early days. 
And then later on, I think when, as the mechanical systems became more mature and it, the bottleneck became software and electronics, um, we found that we were, we really needed to beef up those skill sets. So I think you have to kind of anticipate what are you going to need in that mm-hmm. next phase? And it's not always hiring. Like I say, you're getting the skills or the capacity from whatever source you can, but recognize your, your needs will change from ideation to prototyping, from prototyping to uh, piloting, from piloting to pre-production, from pre-production. You know, you, you need different skill sets, different, different disciplines will take the main stage at each part of the, of the journey. And if you don't anticipate that, you'll sort of plow right in coming off of a big success at the pilot stage yeah. and think, okay, now we're just going to turn this into production. Cool. And then you, you realize later than you should that you don't really have uh, manufacturing engineering and you don't have people who are mm-hmm. going to do the documentation and the quality and all the various things that go into production. And I think right. that's, to me, that's, that's a headline is always, it's think, easy, yeah. Sorry. it's easy to underestimate the level of work from pilot to production relative from, if you go from ideation to pilot, that's huge and you're creating something from nothing and it feels like an enormous accomplishment, mm-hmm. but there's actually a lot more work to go from pilot to production than there is to go from ideation to pilot. Right, right. And, and always think about the next steps, the, the next things that you will need and anticipate that and know to bring the right people on board to, to help you overcome the new challenges that you're going to face. So it's not, uh, it doesn't end in prototype. Uh, basically, that's what you're telling that's right. I mean, part of the game in startups is you're, you're trying to survive. That's rule one. Yeah. You know, survive to fight another day. You're going to make mistakes. And what you don't want to do is waste time or waste resources making mistakes that you could avoid. And so if you want to go as smoothly as possible, you've got to spend a lot of time anticipating what's the next thing I'm going to need and what's, what does the team capacity need to look like? And I, and I would, I would draw the distinction between team capacity and skill set. It's easy to go from here's my needs, here's the skills I need, here's the people I need to hire, and then this is my fixed team. And then when that changes, I need a different team. Well, it's not practical to like change yeah. out team members at yeah. every phase, um, nor the team won't like it either. So you need <laughs> to figure out what, who's your core team, which expertise can you get from the outside to come in and make a contribution and either do that as an outsider or a consultant or temporary or you know in the fullness of time you can you can bring those people on board full time but you can't keep changing your team out all the time but your skill the capacities that your team needs is going to change all the time right you also mentioned clayton about uh something about the manufacturers helping you uh, to succeed um what are your thoughts about that do you have any tips for the listeners uh, about working with manufacturers to get uh, to to production to get to a better result? I think this is one of those areas where it really, um, and this is one of those these awkward points in a startup journey where the timing is challenging, where it's easy to postpone adding manufacturing supply chain expertise to your team because you're not yet building anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a long lead time in getting ready to manufacture and having at least having someone on your team, whether it's an advisor or a consultant or a full part, full-time part of your team, who's been there, done that, has the relationships, knows what it takes, 
um, who can help the team understand what needs to be done. I think in my, in my engineering career, you know, I've seen, you know, it, there's these classic uh, friction points and one of them is getting, getting engineers to sell or getting engineers to do documentation. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are two things that are never easy <laughs> and you can't manufacture without documentation and you can build something without documentation. You can build some really amazing uh, products without documenting things. You can't manufacture without documentation mm-hmm. and successful manufacturing is all about communication. You've got to communicate every last detail to the manufacturer about how to build the product so that they can actually build it repeatedly and and consistently and with high quality. And everything that's left to doubt is an opportunity for a defect. Something gets built wrong, something gets left off, something that was assumed and and not not actually realized. Um, And so I think when you have that senior level experienced a manufacturing leader who knows what those things are, that person can orchestrate and recognize where the weak points are. We need to bring in someone to do documentation. Team needs to stop designing and start writing things down and start amending and annotating drawings and start preparing a, a set of documents that a, a manufacturer can actually build. Now, in some cases, depending on your product, um, your manufacturer may be able to help you with some of those things. And some mm-hmm. there's manufacturers out there who work with startups and have groups that are heavily supportive. And if you can find that kind of relationship, um, that's super valuable because a, a manufacturer will who sees a very promising product will be willing to extend themselves and really help the help you bridge that gap, that that new product introduction phase. And um, because they see lots of, of business downstream that they're going to get from manufacturing large quantities of this product. So mm-hmm. they'll help you out and help you understand what you need to do. But you got to reach out and form those relationships. And if you're just an engineering team that's never built anything before, yeah, that's a pretty tall order. So yeah. again, it goes back to find somebody who has some of those relationships who can help pave that path. Exactly. And this is a part of the tip of uh, anticipate the next step, basically. If you can find someone on time that has the relationships or for them, form them yourself, but not don't get to that point where you now have to manufacture a product and you don't have the, the resources or, or the relationships to do that. So just take it into account. Exactly. Do you have examples for things that you need to communicate to suppliers, uh, things that um, you experience that are important to to keep in mind um yeah so another one of those um and all these all these lessons learned come from uh you know they say uh, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment so <laughs> I've, I've got a wealth of experience <laughs> come from past bad judgments um the uh one of the things in our product is that we have we have to certify to certain standards in our case we want to be in a commercial kitchen so there's National Sanitation Foundation is all about cleanliness and food safety. Um, then as a, as a machine that's going to go in a commercial setting, um, UL or ETL uh, certification. So again, anticipating that certification requirement is really important. We, we had one instance where we had a motor specified that was perfectly suitable and available and met all the specifications. But when we went through the certification process, it wasn't a certified motor. Mm-hmm. And so then we had to hurry and go find a substitute part 
that was actually certified, which actually came from a a, a uh, more challenging source, uh, got hung up with with some, with some of the recent supply chain issues. And that one motor ended up becoming a sticking point in our supply chain process, where otherwise we had everything everything nailed. And it was a lot of it was about not anticipating that you can't put an uncertified motor into a system that needs to be certified mm-hmm. and expect it to pass. So um, those are the, those are the kind of things where I think someone who can anticipate the future, anticipate those next steps, can help you avoid the, the previous step that that slows you down when you get into that current phase. Such great tips, Clayton. Um, Clayton, thank you so much for being with me today. That was very, very insightful. Great. Well, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you. And you listen to Design to Product. Thank you, listeners, for being with us today. I hope you learned a lot. Uh, I know I did. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcasting channel. And if you want to join, we have a closed uh, Slack channel where you can join with like-minded people. Feel free to share feedback and give us some episode ideas. Um, The links are in the show notes as always. And you can also access it via giga.io. It's J-I-G-A dot I-O. I'm Adar. Thank you so much. Bye.